Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Again, I'd like to say Happy Easter to you. I just want to remind you what today is about. Listen, today's not just about us showing up in our men's warehouse new outfits. Maybe we bought this past week. Y'all look good. Y'all look good. But it's not just, hey, this just isn't pregame activity before we get to the honey-baked ham and the deviled eggs and the casseroles and the egg hunts and that stuff's fun. Uh, but we are here to celebrate literally the most eternally significant moment in all of human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 15 is where we're going to be this morning. It is the longest treatment of the resurrection in all of Scripture. The longest treatment in all. It's a long passage. All right. So, I, hey, I weighed my options this morning. I could have just gone with my you know, typical three point message. But I said, why? Why do that? If there's nine truths here, if there's nine points here, hey, let's go for a nine-point sermon. That's what we're going to do. I'll try to keep it under 75 minutes, all right? Hey, y'all should have come to the early service. I had some accountability, you know what I mean? We, we can be friends till one i I'm okay with that. Nine points, one resurrection. And uh, what we find in the 58 verses here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the most thorough case presented in Scripture for the resurrection, a case that helped convince and persuade by the power of the Holy Spirit people in the first century to believe that the resurrection happened and a case that God continues to use to this day to help people who deny the resurrection to understand that Jesus certainly rose from the dead. So if you're here this morning, you got questions. I want to just address you for, I'm glad you're here. You got questions. Maybe you're skeptical when it comes to Christianity or the resurrection. Maybe you're wondering how I even got here, right? My grandma invited me to lunch, and here I am in a worship service with these people really excited about something in here this morning. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here. And I would just challenge you and just say, I challenge you to, would, would you be willing to consider truths, we hold the things that we hold uh, to be true? Would you be willing to doubt your doubts this morning? That's my invitation to you. If you're a believer, I invite you to lean in and listen as we walk through this passage this morning in order that it may build your confidence in the position of faith that you already hold in your belief that Jesus Christ is certainly alive. Uh, It's important for us as believers not just remember what we believe, but why we believe it. Why we believe it's believable. And that's what this passage can do for us this morning. So, I know we're doing a little bit of Christian aerobics this morning, but stand up as we read God's Word. Ten verses there in 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 1, it says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word, I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He also appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as the one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Would you have a Father, I pray... That this morning, you would open eyes to your truth, Father. Help minds to understand what our minds in and of themselves don't have the ability to understand. Help our hearts to believe what our hearts cannot believe on their own. And help us to apply your truth to our lives in a way we can't do in our own strength. 
We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First this morning, I want us to look at the evidence of the resurrection. I, I believe there's seven reasons given in this text to believe that the resurrection actually happened. And it, we're going to begin with a very obvious, simple piece of evidence, and it's this. Jesus was really dead. To believe that Jesus really rose from the dead, you've got to first be convinced that he really died. Look at verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Jesus really died. As the gospel show us, Jesus, though innocent, was convicted and treated like a criminal, sentenced to die, brutally beaten. Then he was taken by professional Roman executioners, marched up a hill where nails were driven through his hands and his feet to a Roman wooden cross where he suffered and died a painful, lonely, shameful death. Jesus really died. Now, Paul is making sure he reminds us in the middle of this that he did not die in vain. In verse 3, he says that Christ died for our sins. And so think about this. The Pharisees are there. They uh, wanted Jesus to be killed. The religious leaders were there. The Roman leaders were there. They wanted to see Jesus killed. And there they are reveling in the work that they think that they're accomplishing by killing Christ. They think that they're stomping out the movement that Christ began. But unbeknownst to them, what's happening? They're actually putting Jesus in the exact place that a sovereign God wants him to be put in a place where he can actually accomplish the most glorious and loving work to ever be accomplished in the history of humanity. On the cross, the Son of God in our place taking the punishment for our sins. And he really died. To ensure that he was dead, a Roman soldier took a spear, went up underneath his ribcage, punctured his heart, water and blood spill out, verifying that he had certainly died. Verse 4 says that he was buried. His body was placed in a barred tomb. A stone was rolled over the entrance to that tomb. It was sealed with a Roman seal, guarded by Roman soldiers for two days, where there was no sound, where there was no activity, where there was no movement. Why? Because Jesus died. He didn't metaphorically die, figuratively die. He emphatically, verifiably, historically died. The first step towards embracing the resurrection is first believing that Jesus really died. But reason number two, equally as simple and obvious, but important to embrace in order for you to believe that the resurrection happened is this. Jesus rose. Jesus is alive. Verse four says this, that he was buried, but that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. In other words, Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. This is what separates Jesus from every other historical religious leader to ever walk this planet. There's 4,000 world religions that exist right now. As you're sitting here right now, over 4,000 world religions, one empty tomb. Now, maybe maybe you're a little skeptical about that. Well, of course the Bible is going to say that Jesus rose from the dead, right? Maybe you feel skeptical. Well, I, I first want to say it's, man, bring your doubts, bring your questions. God's shoulders are big enough to handle those. But I want to challenge you for a second to do your homework, to investigate this, all right? To investigate this claim right here. You're going to say, well, this, what I'm about to say, you're going to say, of course you would say that. Will you go investigate it? Will you do your homework? Will you investigate the claim that I'm about to make that the most historically reliable document that we have at our disposal as human beings is this Bible right here? Do your homework. Investigate it. Would you be willing to investigate extra biblical evidence? I could give you a long list of those this morning, but uh, you know, evidence like the writings of first century Jewish historian Josephus, whose works concerning the ancient Jewish world 
world history in that area of the world continues to be relied on and trusted to this day by the secular world. There are, there are things in secular history books in our public schools that people will present as credible pieces of history that were submitted to us by Josephus. And Josephus was hired by the Roman government in the first century as the movement of Christ continued on even after Jesus died that baffled the Romans because when you killed a cult leader in those days in that ancient world, usually when you killed the shepherd, the sheep scattered, but this movement was exploding in growth. And so they hired Josephus, this historian. He does his homework, he investigates, and he comes to the conclusion that Jesus literally rose from the dead. Would you go and check that out? Would you be willing to investigate that this morning? And it's not just that Jesus came back from the dead and came back to life. We believe that he never died again. We're not talking about a revivification this morning. We're not talking about a resuscitation. We're talking about a resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead. Number three, Jesus called a shot. Look at verse three, in accordance with the scriptures. In accordance with the scriptures. Through the gospels, Jesus predicted his resurrection over and over again. He told the Pharisees, tear down the temple and it'll, it'll be built back up in three days. And he was talking about himself and earshot of his disciples and others. But it, did, it wasn't just with Jesus in the New Testament. You go all the way back to the Old Testament, beginning in G- Genesis 3, and you move forward, and you will see hundreds, some say 300, some say up to 400 very specific messianic prophecies about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that are all fulfilled in Jesus. Here's the point. It wasn't an accident. This isn't plan B. This wasn't the Romans pulling something off and then God kind of having to adjust his plan a little bit. Hey, this had been promised by God, forecasted by God through his word for hundreds of years. Jesus prophesied about it. Jesus promised, made promises about it. Then Jesus pulled it off. Jesus called his shot. Number four, Jesus appeared to people. Jesus appeared to people. Verse five tells us that after Jesus rose that over the course of 40 days that Jesus appeared to both individuals and crowds of up to 500 people at a time. All right, in 1 Corinthians, when it's written, you need to understand it's not that long after the resurrection took place and many of those people who interacted with Christ were still alive as Paul is writing this. In other words, he's saying, you don't got to take my word for it, all right? Go to the hundreds of people who are alive right now who sat with Jesus, touched him, talked to him, heard him speak. Paul is saying it is a well-known, verified historical fact as he's writing this letter in the first century that Jesus walked out of the grave. You just got to go talk to some people. Hundreds of witnesses. That's a powerful piece of evidence, right? But notice that Paul isn't just submitting powerful evidence right here. He's submitting personal evidence. What does he say? Jesus, who does he say Jesus appeared to first right here? Cephas. Well, who's Cephas? He's talking about Peter. It's another name for Peter. He's telling these people, hey, one of the eyewitnesses you, you may want to go consult with is the apostle Peter. Because listen, Peter's not just going to tell you, hey, yeah, he definitely walked out of the grave. He's going to tell you some things about the resurrected Christ. Think about Think about Peter's encounter and experience with the resurrected Christ. Think about all that Peter had done. Do you remember? I mean, he said he was with Jesus. He said, Jesus, I got your back in John 13. He said, Jesus, I will follow you. I will lay down my life for you. And before the night was over, Peter denied him three times. He turned into such a coward that a 13-year-old girl that night questioned him about his loyalty to Christ. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. He denied Christ to a teenager. 
Can you imagine the shame that this is your friend, this is your Lord, this is your master, and when it's all going down, you jump ship and you deny that you even know him in the moment that he needed you most. Can you imagine the shame? Can you imagine the guilt? And he watches Jesus die. Can you imagine what was going through his mind? He's not alone. Think about the disciples. Jesus dies and Friday night goes by and Saturday goes by and Sunday morning comes, right? It's time to party. It's time to celebrate. You would think they'd put on their Easter outfits, right? Be ready to roll. Be ready to, hey, let's go to the tomb. He said three days, let's go and wait. Let's count down. Listen, Jesus does what he says he would do and he walks out of the grave. No one's there. Where are the disciples at? They've locked themselves in a room filled with fear instead of faith, gripped with anxiety instead of courage, filled with doubts instead of hearts that are trusting God. In fact, Thomas doubted so much that he got a nickname. Doubting Thomas, that's what he's called. He's a disciple and that's what he's called in the New Testament, right? If I'm, if I'm Thomas, I'm like, really, do we have to like attach that adjective to my name for all of eternity? I'd be protesting. I'd be like, Peter, Peter, Peter couldn't stand up to a 13-year-old girl. Call him Pansy Peter. Document that in God's word for all of eternity. We're not sure why Thomas got stuck with that name, but what I want you to think about is this ragtag hard-headed, weak-faithed, disobedient, cowardly group of disciples and think about their encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered what Jesus thinks about messy people? Have you ever wondered what Jesus thinks about broken people, people who have drifted from Him, people who have lost their way, people who have broken promises, people who have been unfaithful to Him? Hey, Paul would say, go talk to Peter. Go spend some time with the disciples. They have a testimony to share with you about the resurrected Christ. And it's not just, of course, he walked out of the grave. But I got a lot more to share with you about the resurrected Christ than that he walked out of the grave. See, they'd sit down and they'd talk to you about a shepherd, a living shepherd, the resurrected Lord and Savior who doesn't quit on us when we quit on him. And when we lose our way, he doesn't leave us lost. See, maybe some of you this morning need to go spend some time with Peter. Some of you this morning need to go spend some time with the disciples because this story gives us hope because the same resurrected Jesus that pursued Peter who pursued the disciples and finds them in their sin. And he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, your sins are forgiven. The resurrected Savior says, my obedience covers your disobedience, Peter. My righteousness covers your filthy rags, Peter. I got grace in my kingdom for sinners like you, Peter. Peter, let me hit the refresh button another time in your life. And walk in the newness of my resurrection life. Let the Holy Spirit fill you with power and go and make disciples. And you know what he did? He did just that. Peter and the other disciples go from being cowards to courageous men of God who died for the sake of the gospel. Think about that. What did the disciples gain from following Christ? On this earth, nothing. They lost everything. What did it cost them? Absolutely everything. Nothing to gain, everything to lose. They threw all in. They wouldn't have done that. They wouldn't have died. They wouldn't have laid down their life for a lie, for an illusion. Let that be evidence to you this morning of the validity of the resurrection. They gave the rest of their lives to Jesus because Jesus appeared to them and they encountered the resurrected Christ, experienced His grace, and their life was never the same. Number five, Jesus converted his family. Look at verse 7. Then he appeared to James. We just got through James. Remember James? The younger brother of Jesus, who along with the other brother we know about, Jude, both became devout followers of Jesus Christ. 
Both of them writing books that are canonized, we have right here in the New Testament, that bear their name. They become worshipers of Jesus. Let me ask you an honest question this morning. How many of you are mildly uncomfortable with the idea of worshiping and singing songs about the greatness and majesty of your brother or sister or siblings? That happened a lot in your family? No, you're, you're normal, right? That's, that's all of us. You're not alone. I've got three kids. And in my experience in raising my kids, I've never had, I never, for example, I've never had my, my son Benson come to me and go, Dad, I've got to talk to you about something. What is it, son? Just something's on my heart, Dad. Is Max God in the flesh? <laughs> never happened. My wife has never asked that question about me. Max has never asked that question about his siblings because every, in every family we see the best, but we also see the worst. You can dupe a lot of people. You can't dupe your family. Jesus didn't dupe his family. He appeared to them post-mortem and they were so convinced that he was sinless and all-powerful and the risen son of God that they bowed to him as king and to their graves. They went to their graves as worshipers of Jesus Christ. Number six, Jesus converted his enemies. Paul puts himself on the witness stand here. He says in verse 8, he said, you want, you want evidence? You can read this. You can kind of feel this in the tone of his writing. He said, I'm not proud of this, but you want some evidence? Hey, I was one of the greatest enemies of the gospel. I was one of the greatest enemies of the Christian faith. In verse 9, he explains that he wasn't just somebody annoyed with it. He wasn't just somebody frustrated with it. He was passionately committed about stomping it out, even if it meant spilling blood. And there was a time where we know it's documented in Acts that it meant just that. As he stood there and gave approval to the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr. You have... Paul, who was on a mission trip on the road to Damascus to stomp out Christianity, and all of a sudden in his life he does a 180. He goes from being somebody who's killing people because of his faith to a man who will lose his life because of his faith in Jesus Christ. What happened? How do you explain that it only makes sense that on that road to Damascus he certainly did collide with the resurrected Savior in such a way that changed his life forever? Jesus converted his enemies. Number seven, Jesus is still changing lives. Today, if you're here this morning and you don't believe in Jesus, maybe you don't believe in the resurrection, you are skeptical, you have questions, I want you to know you don't just need proof from history. You can look around this room and find some proof this morning. You can look around this room and hear some testimonies and find some evidence this morning. Every Christian, true believer in this room will tell you that there is no better life than the life of following Jesus Christ. In fact, let's just do a little activity right here, right? If you're in this room and your sinful soul has encountered the resurrected Jesus Christ, you've experienced his forgiveness, you've tasted his grace, he's given you a new name, a new identity, a new family to belong to, a new start, and I could keep going down the list, and it's something you wouldn't trade for anything in this world. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? Keep it up. Look around the room. Talk about some evidence this morning. Wait, listen, we don't just have some resurrection evidence in an empty tomb. We have some evidence right here in a room full of people who've experienced the transformative grace of Jesus Christ. Those are seven reasons to believe that the resurrection is true. It happened. But now that we've established that it happened, what's significant about it? Okay, so it happened... What's the meaning of it, right? If, if, what, what did it accomplish? If, if Jesus rose, so what? So let's look for a moment at the significance of the resurrection. Hey, you survived seven points. We just got two more to go. Two implications on why it's significant. And here's the first one. Because of the resurrection or because he lives, the Christian faith 
is validated. Paul wants you to know something here. It's not about just wasting your time giving you all this evidence that the resurrection is true. I want you to know that the entire Christian faith hinges on whether or not this event took place. Paul's making the point that it comes down to this. Jesus is dead or Jesus is alive. And he's going to go on to tell us in verse 17 that if he's dead, hey, this whole thing is a sham. We're still stuck in our sins. If Jesus is dead, listen, let's turn the lights out. Let's sell these buildings. Let's go hunt some Easter eggs. Let's eat some honey baked ham and move on with our life. He says, if it didn't happen, look at verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. and You're still in your sins. And those also who have fallen asleep or have died and Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. He's saying, man, if Jesus is dead, shut it all down. If Jesus is dead, it don't matter. It's all fake. But he says, if Jesus has truly risen from the dead, and Paul just laid out a clear-cut case that that's just the case, it changes everything. In verse 20, he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. You know what, you know what that means this morning? This is where Paul is bringing us, that if you are a believer... You can have confidence this morning that Jesus is alive and that you are not wasting your time this morning, that you are not wasting your life following him. doesn't matter what you've lost in this life. It'll be worth it. You're not wasting your life. You're not wasting your Sunday mornings when you come here and worship the resurrected Jesus Christ with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're not wasting your Wednesday nights when we gather together and pray and worship Jesus You're not wasting your time and your talent and your treasure when you invest those for the glory of Jesus Christ. And you know what it means? Probably best of all, definitely best of all, that because he is risen, it means our sins have truly, completely, fully been taken care of. Hey, in other words, because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, it means our sin debt was paid in full on Friday. It means the check didn't bounce. The resurrection means that the payment Jesus offered on our behalf on Friday on that cross, the resurrection means that that payment was accepted by God as a satisfactory payment for our sins. In Christ this morning, rejoice. Listen, you are truly justified. We can rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ because of the resurrection. This is what I came to tell you this morning. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. That the cross on Friday shouts it is finished and the empty tomb forever shouts it's all true. That wasn't enough amen, so I'm going to say it again. Miguel's got me over here. A few other people got me over here. On Friday, the cross, Jesus shouted from the cross, It is finished. Your sins have been paid in full. And what the empty tomb shouts forever and ever and ever is that it's all true. You know, if it's all true and Jesus has dealt with our sins, He is God and He is worthy of our, all of our praise and our entire life's devotion. Second implication is this, because he lives, death has been defeated. Because he lives, death has been defeated. Hey, your biggest problem this morning is death. Every person in this room, you've got an expiration date on your life. Oh, no, no, see, that's not me. See, I I eat all, all organic. Like, I drink a lot of, like, barley leaf shakes and stuff, and... And I stretch a lot, and I, you know, I drink a lot of coconut water, and I work out. I eat a lot of pita bread, my white bread, and I do eat my multivitamin essential oil. Do a lot of essential oil. That's good. That's great. But eventually, death will get you. Everyone who can hear me this morning, 
Everyone who can hear me online, who's watching online this morning, what that obviously means is you are alive. But 10 years from now, people who can hear me this morning, 10 years from now, there's a group of people in this room who will not be here. 50 years from now, most of us won't be here. 125 years from now, we'll all be dead. Happy Easter, be blessed, let's go eat some casseroles. You feel encouraged this morning? Why do I bring that up? Because it's true. Why do I bring that up? Because it's reality. Listen, if nobody's told you this, I'm sorry to break this news to you. But when it comes to death, the statistics aren't very good, right? One out of one people die. Nothing else is killing people out there more than death. None of us can escape it. None of us can avoid it. The question is, is where do, where do, I, where do I find help to be ready for it? You can't avoid it. It's your biggest problem. Where do I find help to make sure that I'm ready for it? I submit to you that the only help you can find is in Christ. Jesus is the only one in human history who said, I'm going to die, and then three days later, I'm going to come back. I'm going to tell you about it. I'm going to defeat it. And in me, you can have resurrection life. If you're asking this, I hope you are. I hope you're asking this, where can I find help to be ready for death? It's found in Jesus Christ. It's found in the one person in history who kicked the door off of his grave and rose in victory. Later in this passage, this is how much Paul believes this. He's mocking death. He renders it laughable. He quotes prophet Isaiah in verse 54 through 56. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? He's mocking death. How can he do that? Because he knows death is defeated. He has a relationship with the resurrected Savior. He knows that, yes, Satan maybe have landed a blow on Friday when Jesus said it is finished and he breathed his last breath and they were grinning. The demons were howling at the war that they thought they won. But on Sunday, it changed everything. On Sunday, Jesus kicked open the door to his tomb and literally ended the fight. Night, night, goodbye, end of game. And if you are hidden in Christ, You've got nothing to fear. If you're hidden in Christ, disease will not have the last word in your life. Your addiction will not have the last word in your life. Death itself will not have the last word in your life. Because if you're a Christian, see, death used to be a problem, but Jesus is a solution. In other words, Easter changes everything. Easter changes the way that you live, but not just the way you live, the way you die. It changes everything. Changes everything. There isn't an issue in your life that the resurrection of Jesus Christ cannot address. Do you believe that this morning? How are you going to respond to the resurrection of Jesus? It's been laid out before you this morning. You say, well, I still don't know if it's true. Listen to me right now. Everybody listen to me right now. Some of you say, I still don't know if it's true. You should want it to be true. Who doesn't want this to be true? Who in their right mind would say, I don't want it to be true that there's a way for me to live after I die when I know I'm certainly going to die. You say, well, if you put it that way, yeah, I do. I mean, I guess I, I could agree with that. I wish that it's true. Then go find out if it is. Don't be lazy with your eternity. Maybe you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit's working in you and, and you're beginning to wonder and you're beginning to think, could something like, like this good be true? See, we're not just talking about the evidence or the significance of the resurrection. We're talking about your response to it this morning. And I want you to know, you can leave this room literally a different person than the person you walked in here as. 
You can walk out of here a new person this morning. Christian author Kyle Eidelman in his book, God at War, he tells a story about his daughter when she was uh, four years old. And she really wanted a pet. He wasn't like a pet guy, so he kind of kept putting her off. But you dads who have little girls, you know, they kind of have you wrapped around their finger. And so finally he broke and he said, fine, I'll get you, I'll get you a pet. All right. He goes, but here's my rules. I got three rules. Number one, uh, uh, first number one, one, one rule is, is it can't meow or bark. Number two is can't have fur, can't have hair. And, and number three is it's got to cost no more than $5. Now, what do you think they went with? There you go. Some of you are with me, fish, right? So they, they went to the pet store. They went to the fish section. And something caught his eye when he went to the fish section. There was a sign there that it said, three-day guarantee for a new fish, no questions asked. That's a worker. Well, what's, what's that about? Well, you get a fish, and if it dies within three, we guarantee it'll live for three days or more. If it dies within those three days, bring it in. No questions asked. We'll give you a new one. He said, deal, $5. I'm in. He got the goldfish. He asked his daughter, what are we going to name it? She said, we're going to name it Nemo. So they named it Nemo. They took little Nemo home, and it was, a, it was a nice summer day, and she wanted to play with the fish. And he's trying to explain, you can't play with the fish. You can't play fetch with a fish. You can't take a, a fish on a walk. And so she just kept asking about that. And so he's just trying to have fun, fun dad. You know, and so he grabbed a cup of water and put the little goldfish in it, and they were out swimming. And so he took it out by the pool, and he said, Nemo can come hang out with us while we have fun. He put the, the cup of water with the little goldfish in it next to the side of the pool as everybody was swimming. Everybody's splashing and the kids are having a good time. And about 20 minutes goes by and he looks over and the cup's empty. So after all the splashing, somehow maybe the goldfish jumped out. It was gone. It was gone, right? Insert Finding Nemo joke right there, right? <laughs> so they begin to investigate and look and there's, he sees the little goldfish swimming through the deep end. I mean, it's just having the time of his life. I mean, it's just swimming, zipping and zagging through the deep end. And he writes in his book, he goes, have you ever tried to catch a goldfish in the deep end of a pool? He said, not easy, hard to catch. But he said, if you wait long enough in a chlorinated pool, they're actually pretty easy to catch. Close to the top. So he got the fish together and they, he remembered three-day guarantee. So he took it back and he took it into the store. And the lady kind of violated her policy. She said, she asked a question. She goes, what happened to the fish? And he goes, it drowned. I don't know. That's what he said. He, t- he said he told her that he drowned. She, she just said, oh, okay, and they gave, gave, gave him a new fish. And this is the profound statement he makes after telling that story. He says this in his book. He said, wouldn't it be great if we could have a place that we could go like that with, no, with a no questions asked guarantee where you could bring in what was dead and leave with something alive? Where you could bring in what was dead, and when you leave, it'll be alive. And I want to tell you this morning, there is a place like that. What in your life feels broken this morning? What's something in your life that you wish this morning, I want you to listen to me right here, that you wish you could just say where that thing is and it would be new? I'm not talking about a car. I'm not talking about a refrigerator. I'm not talk, there's a bunch of stuff maybe on a list like that. I'm talking about those of you who are dealing with real issues in your life and you say this morning, you, you look dressed up, you came you know, to the right place this morning, but you, you kind of look like you have it all together. But in your heart, you, you, this morning you would say, there's some things I need. I'm honest with you, man, I could use some new hope. If I'm honest with you this morning, some of you'd say, I could use a new restored, a newly restored marriage. 
I could, man, I could use new passion, new desires, new habits, a new freedom from this addiction that has gripped my life, a new purpose. And I want you to know that it's possible to experience those things, that those are areas that can be addressed in your life. That's a path of restoration that you can walk, but it's a path of restoration that begins with a relationship with the resurrected Savior. Because what you really need is you need new life. You need your sins to be taken care of. You need a new heart. You need new life. And that's what's found in Jesus Christ who reconciles us with God the Father who comes not to just make bad people better. He comes to make spiritually dead people alive. You can step into a relationship with the living God this morning, with a living Savior who can literally transform and impact every area of your life. You say, well, I want that. But what do I do? Hey, how can I receive that? How can I walk out of here today and be a changed person? Do you know, I love that first verse because it has an important word there. He says in the first verse in that chapter now, to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you what? What does it say right there? Are you looking at your Bible? Which you received. Does it say achieved? You don't earn it. Jesus has finished all the work on the cross. Listen, the work's been done. The gift of salvation's been wrapped up. It's ready to be received. Eternal life is a gift. Salvation is a gift. Your future resurrection is a gift. And every good gift, what does it have what has to be done? It has to be received. Is that not why we love gift cards? Right? I guarantee a lot of you got gift cards on you right now. Somebody gave it to you for a birthday, for an anniversary, for Christmas. Why do we like gift cards? You just walk in and receive the gift. It's paid for. It's, the payment's already been made. You just go in, no search. You go in the restaurant. You, give, you get the gift that's already been purchased. And you just go and receive it. Give them that gift card. In a way, that's what Jesus has done. He has made the payment. He has purchased your salvation. You just receive it. Now, here's the deal. I was cleaning out a drawer recently, and I found an old gift card. Fully loaded, man. $25 on it to a place called Orange Tree. Anybody know about Orange Tree? Man. Nothing like a slaw dog, some of that heavenly orange slushy goodness. Be serving that in heaven one day. Some of y'all don't know about that. Maybe it's because some have closed down in our area. $25. So I, I looked up some locations. There's one over across town, but then I realized that it's a franchise specific gift card. I waited too late to use it paid for. I waited too long to use it. It's useless now. I waited too late. It's, it's one thing to lose out on the orange slush and the hot dog. You don't want to play games with your eternity. It's been purchased and millions of people have come through this life with it already being purchased and waited until it's too late and never received it. You can choose Listen, you can choose to go into a Christless eternity and leave this life as a non-believer. Listen, but Jesus is going to make sure you have to walk past his nail-scarred hands in his offer to save you. Why would you wait this morning? Believer, as we wrap up, the end of this passage is for you. The very last two verses, verses 57 and 58, 
give you something to walk out of here with today. He says, But thanks be to God who gives the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always, 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 always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Hey, this is a day that we are remembering. This is Easter. We're remembering the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, never leave that place. Every day is Easter. Fix the eyes of faith in your heart on the truth that Jesus is alive. Hey, listen, because Jesus is alive, it means God is alive. Because Jesus is alive, it means our future is alive. Because Jesus is alive, it means the church is alive this morning. Because Jesus is alive, it means our hope is alive. Have you lost hope this morning? There is hope. Listen, believer, there is hope for your marriage this morning. Because Jesus is alive. And for you this morning, what the application of this message looks like for you is to take that broken marriage that feels lifeless and to put it in the hands of your resurrected Savior and say, God, breathe life into it once again. Whatever situation that you're dealing with right now, to put it back in the hands of a living God, the resurrected Savior, and say, heal, work. Do the work that only you can do. I trust you with it. But I'm recognizing that you're the all-powerful, living, resurrected Savior. Because Jesus is alive, our hope is alive. And lastly, because Jesus is alive, grace is alive. Grace is alive this morning. Some of you, like Peter, you need to turn your life back to your Savior. You've been drifting, you've been running, and you need to understand, just like Peter, it doesn't matter how many months or years you've been running full speed away from God, possibly, the moment that you turn back to Jesus, there he is. I trust that the Spirit of God is moving in this place this morning. What is he showing you in your heart? How is he showing you that you need to respond to this message? Don't let this moment pass. Church, God is good. God is great. Jesus is alive. Happy Easter. Let's pray. As the band comes and plays, I I want to swing back to those of you who need to receive Christ this morning. I'm telling you, being a Christian doesn't mean you have to get sober. It doesn't mean you have to get awesome. It doesn't mean you have to show that you're worthy. That's not it. You just simply have to receive the good news. The work's been done. And if that's where you're at this morning, in just a few moments, I'm going to be standing right down front. We're going to stand and sing a song and exalt and glorify through song our resurrected Savior. During that song, I'd love to talk to you. If you're ready to throw the full weight of your faith on the finished work of Christ on the cross, admit your sin, admit that you don't have what it takes. You're ready to look to the cross and believe that what Jesus did there counted for you. And to believe that Jesus rose from the grave. And because he rose from the grave, we're confident that he paid your sin debt in full. It's just they're ready for you to receive it. Are you ready to receive that this morning? I would love to pray with you. I would love to talk with you. What a great way to celebrate Easter today. We're not here to embarrass you. We're here to celebrate that with you. You need to find a spot to pray. Do that this morning. Or, hey, believer, how do you need to apply this truth that... Jesus is alive to your life. Did you need this this morning to remind you that our hope is alive? Maybe you needed it to remind you this morning that your loved ones who have died in Christ are alive. Maybe you needed it to remind you this morning that grace is alive. Jesus is alive. 
turn your heart to the resurrected Savior this morning. We're going to give you an opportunity through this song to worship Him, surrender to Him, to respond to Him.